You know, the one thing that you can do is sometimes when your voice is not being heard, you've elected this person to actually represent you and the folks in the community in which you live. Reach out to them. There, there are ways to get it done. All righty. Welcome in, kiddos. Another fantastic episode of your favorite political podcast, Alabama Politics, this week with Josh Moon and David Person. How are you, David? Man, it's a it's a Thursday. Of course, we tape on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. It's a Thursday, and I'm glad the weekend is on the way. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. If we don't get uh, if we don't get blown away. Uh, yeah, in the midst of yeah. this thing, hope everybody is uh, is safe uh, by the time you're hearing this thing, uh, and uh, and all is well out there. I know we've got uh, so supposedly some bad weather going to roll through later today. Hopefully, uh, the weathermen are wrong and uh, everything is just fine. But I noticed there's some there's a thread of it. Uh, we've got the little one at the house today because uh, mm-hmm. things are all closed up and people aren't going to, to school uh, today. So, which is a new thing. Uh, we just went to school and put books on our heads uh, when the <laughs> bad weather rolled through. Uh, I don't know when that changed, uh, but uh, we just put our backs up against the cinder block wall and put books on our heads because that made a lot of sense. Uh, I don't know if they, people don't realize what those cinder block walls are, uh, but uh, you know, if they were tumbling down, I don't think the book was going to do much for us. Uh, not much. Yeah. Not much. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it's a, you know, it, it's a different, uh, it's a different world. We, uh, we it's um, yeah. I read a, read a story uh, the other day that talked about the anxiety uh, of today's parents versus parents of a few years back. And, um, and it's right. It's, you know, one of the, one of the things that touched on just a, a very common uh, thing was allowing your children to play in the front yard. You know, yeah. when I was growing up in the eighties, um, there, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. We went out in the front yard and we went out in everybody's front yard, you know, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. We just, we just roamed around. The, do, do not leave this neighborhood is what my, you know, my mother, that would be the instructions for my mother. Do not leave this neighborhood. You know, and we would see her around lunchtime when we got hungry. And then we would see her again, you know, later that evening uh, when the streetlights came on and it was time for dinner. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, now, I'm not letting my daughter play in the front yard without me being out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then, and it said, why? And, and that's a good question of that. There is no statistical reasoning for that. To, to no, safer no, but there's today. Th- th- there's no, there's no statistical reasoning, but there's some pretty intense anecdotal reasons. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah. and, and, and yeah. I, and I actually side with you on that. I don't, I don't criticize today's parents because we we have seen a proliferation. I don't know how else to put it, but just a proliferation of evil that is really disturbing, you know. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I do some work for one of my clients is a is in an organization called the Black and Missing Foundation, and and this organization founded by. Uh, Two uh, sisters-in-law, Natalie and Derricka Wilson, they they uh, they all they do is document and try document missing cases of black people 
mm-hmm. mostly this ends up being mostly women and and trying to find, you know, do things to help the families, including, of course, solving the cases. And I'm going to tell you, man, the just the steady flow of missing people is just astonishing. If you go to their Instagram page, it's like every day almost you're going to see a different face. You know, it's really stunning. Do you think so it's I, more now, though, or, or do you think it's it's that that, that now we have the information? You know, that's a good question. And I, and I don't and I don't claim to have the answer to that. I don't know. But I know it certainly seems more prevalent. It seems more prevalent. And certainly our awareness of it is higher. And it could also be that um, maybe things that. You know, maybe things that we brushed aside, you know, I mean, this kind of goes back to in a, in, a, in a little bit to what you were saying earlier. You know, we just we didn't see danger, mm-hmm. you know, back in, you know, 20, 30 years ago or more. You know, like I remember as a kid, um, you know, the playground at my elementary school was concrete, black. <laughs> it was not just concrete, but it was that black yeah, asphalt. Asphalt. Yeah, it was asphalt. asphalt. Yeah. We that's what we played on. Yeah, I, I, we you used know? to bounce off of that. I don't know what's the matter with kids these days. I mean, we used to bounce <laughs> off asphalt. I don't know what happened. But but I think about the fact that we played we played touch football out there. Uh-huh. Um, we we had monkey bars there. Man, you know if you fell from those monkey bars, you know you would crack your skull, right? I mean, just, but we for whatever reason we just didn't see danger. Oh no! And our parents were the same way. I can I can hear my I can hear my dad's voice right now. Say, get up, you're fine. Get up, you're yeah. fine. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, just picking my foot up and dragging it behind me. You know, I mean, get up, you're fine. Come on, let's go. Hey, somebody grab that toe over there. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, exactly. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a uh, yeah, it, it's a whole different. Uh, it's a whole different. And I and I feel like my parents were more kind of overbearing than most. You know, uh, I, my house growing up was where all the kids in the neighborhood came to, and so you know we and and their parents had no idea where they were they would call like once a week to my mom and ask as uh you know is greg and them over there still uh you know just you know uh, and, and because there's a good chance they came one morning and we're still there like two days later you know i mean because they spent the night and everything else and i'm not even sure their parents knew that this was taking place they just assumed that they were there and everything was okay uh, right, right. And so, I mean, it just, uh, you know, it's a different time. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm not criticizing either because I am one of those parents, you know, we've got a four year old here by, about to be five. And, and yeah, I don't make any bones. She's not playing out in the front yard without us. And, uh, you know, we watch her like crazy and, and are far more involved and, uh, in what she's doing and, and setting up, uh, play dates and everything else. And, uh, and, you know, and hopefully one day it, it'll get to the point where, you know, she can just kind of roam around the neighborhood a little bit, uh, cause we live in a, in a pretty nice little place. And so, and hopefully there'll be some kids that she can get out and, you know, throw water balloons at cars and do that sort of things. Uh, it's, you know, roll some people's yards. Of course, we got to get some trees in this neighborhood first, but first. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think the older she gets, the, uh, the more likely it is that that's going to happen on some level for sure. But, yeah. but in the meantime, look, man, I don't blame you. Yeah. I just, I don't blame you. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let my five year old or my four year old just roll out 
and just play in the front yard and I'm not watching. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. Yeah, well, it's uh, I think it's more for us than anything else. I mean, you don't want to look back and think you should have done something, you know, that you that you could have done that you didn't. And so, uh, but uh, you know, listen. In in a lot of ways, this kind of ties into what we were going to lead with. Uh, you know, the 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 everyday life of of humans and and how much we care for people and um and and I guess how much we don't care for for others uh because yeah. uh as i wrote uh for today actually uh we we froze a man to death uh mm. in the state of alabama anthony tony mitchell was his uh his name he was in the custody of the walker county sheriff's office after a mental health episode uh in which he believed that there i mean to, to tell you how much of this is not to make fun of tony mitchell at all but to, to mm. just illustrate to you what sort of uh, 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 how serious the mental health issue was he was having. He he went to his parents' home and believed that there were two portals, one to heaven, one to hell, and he was trying to get his stillborn brother that was born several years prior, uh, mm. who he believed the body was in the house somewhere, and he was trying to get him in the portal to heaven. Uh, mm. and, and that's mm. when they called uh, the sheriff's office and told him that they needed some help. They were afraid he was going to hurt himself. He had spray-painted his face black. Mm. Um and in in response, Walker why did County, he do that? Do you, do we know? He he was. Uh, it said in one of the stories I read, some, it had something to do with with staying out of the portal to hell. Um, so the the, the people couldn't oh, get him wow. and drag him into the portal to hell or something along hmm. those lines. And um and you know it's uh, they they called the uh, they called Walker County Sheriff's Office. The deputies showed up. Uh, to get him. Um, and, you know, and, and of course I've read the, the Facebook posts that they've had, that they had immediately after this, and they made it sound like they were tracking down, you know, the one armed killer of, uh, you know, the, the doctor wife from the fugitive or some shit. And I mean, it was just, you know, the task force and the helicopters and the, you know, uh, the SWAT team and everybody else showed up to get this guy who was going through a mental episode. And, uh, they eventually tracked him down in the woods and, and they claimed that he had, he had fired a gun at them. I don't know if he just fired a gun or if it was actually at them or if he even knew who they were, you know, but he was charged yeah. with attempted murder at that point, And they, Plastered his picture on Facebook essentially to ridicule him um, because you know it showed the this black spray painted face. He was all disheveled and and had a mm. crazy look in his eyes, um, you know. And and if you go back and look at photos of him prior to whatever happened in his life, uh, he was a car salesman in Walker County. Uh, he had a lot of friends. A lot of I mean, you read some of those threads on Facebook, and I mean, they're just a ton of people who knew this guy. I mean, just a ton of people who knew him and talked about what a good guy he was in high school and how they loved being around him and how funny he was and what a good car salesman he was and how they loved working with him and uh, and they hated that his life had taken such a turn. And this was before he, he was killed. Most of these posts were yeah. before he was killed and um, and they were just hoping for the best for him uh, and that he, he would get some help. And the people that they called for help instead ridiculed him, uh, put him in a... Mm. Put him in a concrete cell, uh, naked, uh, where he stayed for days. And to just illustrate. Wait, wait, wait. Hmm? Wait, wait. Naked? Oh, he's naked. I don't know. Why? Nobody has explained any of this. Uh, so he was in, but there are photos because one of the deputies who was on, who was on the staff at the time took photos and took a video of the video. Uh, basically, she video recorded uh, the video player of the security right. footage so she could get it, give it to the family to let them know what was being done. 
because she was so appalled by it. God um, bless her for that. Too. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, otherwise, we would know none of this. And uh, to to illustrate to you the level of cruelty, at one point, because uh, Tony Mitchell had, was a drug user, and that's this is essentially what what happened and led to a lot of the things. And and who knows what happened first, the the mental health issues or the drug use, or whether the drug use came about because he was trying to address, you know, self prescribe himself uh, some relief of the mental health issues or whatever. Um, he, he started using uh, drugs, uh, was in, into methamphetamines for, for a long period of time, and so he lost most of his teeth. And at some point, his family had gotten him false teeth uh, so he could eat, you know. Uh, oh, they man. fell out uh, as he was being tased and beaten at the jail, and uh, the, uh, the security detail there confiscated those teeth and refused to give them back. And so he did not eat for several days. Lord Jesus. Uh, and uh, at least this is the allegation. Let me say that the, that— was one of the mm. allegations in the in the lawsuit. A lot of this stuff, mm. all of these things are allegations in a lawsuit, uh, but a lot of them we know to be true because there are video. Uh, there, there's video mm. of, of what took place, and um, uh, so and ultimately they they placed him in a freezer at the jail uh, in a restraining chair, according to the lawsuit, and left him there for mm. several hours. Uh, retrieved him at some point. That I, I can only assume they left him in there overnight in this freezer and went back to get him in the morning when the morning shift showed up at four 30. Uh, and I, he was unresponsive at that time. According to the lawsuit, uh, they just put him in a jail cell and left him there for another four hours, uh, before they decided to do anything with him. Uh, the nurse at one point went in and took a look at him and didn't do anything. Um, and then they, uh, Dragged him. You can see, you, I think the most famous video that everybody has seen at this point is them taking him to the patrol cruiser. Um, uh, four officers, uh, you know, take, carrying him out. And this is after they describe him as being awake and alert. And then they at one point lay him on the concrete about while they get the doors open and prepare the back seat for it to shove him in there. And he's clearly out of it. He's clearly unconscious and, and, and not responsive at all. He's not moving. You can see his feet look to be purple on there where I'm mm. sure where he's cold. When he arrived at the hospital, he was breathing at one or two breaths per minute. Um, so he was barely alive. And uh, his core body temperature at that point was 72 degrees, according to the doctor. Lord have mercy. So mm. uh, who ex who could not uh, said in the report uh, had no explanation for for the body temperature being this other than the man was placed inside a freezer. So uh, basically, we have a situation where a county sheriff. Or, or at least the county sheriff's employees killed this man they killed him yep. is what is what it sounds like to me yeah no, if all of these allegations yeah. are true they killed him yeah oh it's, listen it's a uh, there, there's no doubt that this man i mean he's 33 years old you know yeah did he have some drug use and and things like like that and it was he in was he in bad uh, mental health yes uh, uh, he was but he was 33 years old uh you know you see former pictures of him you, you know there's there's no way the man should have just died of natural causes uh, and, and he was isolated to the point, uh, we know from the deputy, uh, we know that he was isolated to the point that he couldn't have received any drugs or anything else. So we know that what took place with him, what killed him were the actions of these people that were supposed to be protecting and serving him. You know? So they put, they, they left, they allowed him to be naked, which mm -hmm. I, I don't understand. There are photos of all that's, that. 
they're, they're, what, what that's about. Yeah. They they deprived him of his teeth, mm-hmm. his false teeth, which meant that he was was not eating or not eating well for sure. And then um and then you said they put him in a freezer. Mm-hmm. Why the heck would they put him in a freezer? Good question. Good question. But he was certainly uh the, as the doctor said uh in the report that there is no logical explanation for a person who has been housed in a modern day prison to have a core body temperature this cold. Uh, and I, a mo- I think he said a modern climate controlled prison. Uh, I mean, this is not Russia. You know, we're not we're not keeping them outside in Moscow somewhere. Uh, you know, we've heard and and we've talked about some really horrible things. We've written about you and I both have written about some really horrible things, but this this almost seems to be the only thing that comes close to this in terms of cruelty to me is the man who was being cooked mm. yes. in his his jail cell or his prison cell. Got about that. I wish I hadn't mentioned that in the in the column that I wrote about this um, because um, I, I honestly. This is this is the fault of of a lot of us. You know, we we all there, there are some people that that we could absolve this. I mean, I, as I said in the column, the Beth Shelburns of the world uh, that mm-hmm. are out there doing you know highlighting these atrocities every day and uh, screaming from the top to the heels about what what's going on in our prisons. But uh, and there are some people who who bear more blame: uh, Kay Ivey, Steve Marshall, uh, our lawmakers. Uh, the people that run the Department of Corrections every day, uh, those people bear more responsibility for this uh, because this is a top-down issue. This is th- th- we have we have told people what is acceptable uh, in terms of of how we treat incarcerated individuals. We have we have showed them how it's okay to behave uh, towards incarcerated individuals, and these people. Are their actions are a direct result of that leadership? All right. Mm-hmm. Have we had, had somebody in our government taken a stand at any point over the last thirty years and said enough of this shit? We're going to stop this in our prisons. We're not going to treat these people this way. We're going to treat these people like human beings. We're going to improve our prisons. We're going to get rid of this damn violence. And we're going to, if you commit crimes as a correctional officer in our prisons, you're going to serve time in our prisons. Uh, and we're going to knock this nonsense off instead of defending it, vilifying the people further who are in there uh, as though it, it, it's OK because they're they've committed crimes for you to commit crimes against them. It's not. And, and so this this is what this is the result. This is this level of cruelty is the result of that. And as you pointed out in your column, uh, I think. In a in a way that I think really paints the picture well, Steve Marshall, the Attorney General, you know, puts out press releases about various and sundry things all the time. I guess, and and so the fact that there is utter silence mm-hmm. from the person who has the most responsibility of of dealing with law enforcement and legal issues affecting the state, that there's utter silence on this. But there's plenty of time to, you know, to castigate Joe Biden or whoever his target is at any given point in time. 
is really stunning to me. Yeah. And and it's stunning especially because we, as we've talked about before, you know, we are a state that prides itself on on our Christian faith. And yet we also are, you know, we and 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 and, and we really pride ourselves on being a quote pro-life unquote state. Mm-hmm. And yet when you go to our you look at what's happening with our prison system and with some of these jails, like this Walker County jail, you realize we're not pro-life. Uh-huh. We're not pro-life at all. No. No. We're cruel. We're cruel people. Yeah. We're cruel. Yeah. And we use we use that what you just talked about, we use that as a cover to make us feel better. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh and and we use things like I guarantee you. You, you talk about this and you talk about what's happening in our prisons and the same people that will preach to you day after day about the killing of unborn babies and how we're murdering those unborn babies and uh, and for and we're they're OK with forcing rape victims and children to, to carry pregnancies to term. Those same people will say to you, well, what did that guy do? What did that guy do? You know, well, why am I supposed to care about this guy that's got himself in prison over here? You know, that that's the response. And I, I don't know. If this is something that they're teaching in churches now, I don't know. I don't know uh, whether they are or not. Um, uh, or this is just something that took hold because it's a convenient way for you to not have to worry about what's going on uh, with these folks um, or or what it is. I, I, I really don't know. I don't know. I, there's so much in this state that I, why don't why are you why are people so against expanding Medicaid? The people, especially the people that would help, why why are they so against this this idea that that some people would receive health care uh, and and be able to live more fulfilled lives? Why why is this such a why are people so jealous of others whenever they get some sort of benefit from the government uh, that that they aren't getting themselves because they don't qualify for it because they're okay. And they're doing okay. Listen, I understand that some people take advantage of these things. I do. But that they're in the tiny minority and and we don't do that. And and yet we have this this jealousy and this, uh, you know, thing that drives people against their own interest, against things that would make us so much better. And same with public schools. You know, they, they we these people have fought for so long uh, against you know, uh, desegregation and, uh, you know, and, and they've defined a good school as a white school for so long that you've de- they've destroyed many of the of the public institution uh, education institutions in our state they've just destroyed them you know with this ignorance and so we've done it to ourselves and for all of these things that we are to blame we are all i mean all of us share some responsibility in this some less than others but all of us to some degree and you know and that's the same way with tony mitchell i mean it, we all share some blame for what took place with him here because we allowed this environment to occur. I want to throw one last thing in here. Um, You know, as an African-American in this state, many, many times when we are having a conversation like this, the victim is a black person. Yes. But But what I see in this case is a white victim. And what I've seen in a case in Huntsville uh, where uh, this cowboy cop killed a, a, a white man, uh, also in mental distress, Josh, in less than 30 seconds after encountering him. 
is that there's a real problem. You know, I used to think it was just, you know, police or law enforcement people with, you know, having a deeply ingrained bias against black people. Mm -hmm. And and I still think that that is a problem. Mm -hmm. But I also believe there's a real problem with police and law enforcement not being aware of or sensitive to mental health challenges in people, period. So when they see something, you know, and, and, you know, many of us who are black, we just assume, well, a white guy wouldn't have been treated that way. Well, it started to look like sometimes white guys are treated that way and worse. Yeah. But what we should, well, uh, here's the the one truth out of this um, that, that you could say. The, the one thing that would make that sentence absolutely correct, a rich guy wouldn't be treated that way. You know? If and, they knew he was rich. Right, right. Yeah. If, yeah, if, if they I knew mean, if, they, he was rich. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, you know, I, I used to say this all the time. You know, I, I called in when, when I lived in Montgomery. It, it was every week, and I may be being kind by that. It may be every other day, uh, but every week I would pass by a traffic stop somewhere where uh, a black young, a, a youthful-looking black person was sitting on a curb, handcuffed, and and officers were were going about something, and inevitably I would say to whoever was with me, "Have you ever seen?" Uh, a a white man handcuffed sitting on the curb outside of his BMW or Mercedes. Hmm. You know, you see him pulled over yeah. a lot. You see him pulled yep. over a lot, but you yep. don't, you don't ever see him sitting on the curb. And you know, there, I, I understand maybe the interactions are different. Maybe, maybe some things are, have, have gone on and I'm not vilifying all of those cops and all of those stops, but you can't tell me that all of them are that way. You know what I mean? Uh, exactly. No, and, I agree and so with there, I agree I, with to you. me, there is, you're, you're right. There, there is certainly a racial bias uh, with a lot of law enforcement. Um, and, but I also believe that where we, where we do a disservice to the greater good uh, in this is, is also not including a bias towards poor people in general whether that be Hispanic people, poor white people, poor black people, poor Asian people, whatever, uh, and especially those in mental distress, uh, that we have, there is a there is a real bias in our system against those people. And those people, if they would ever overcome the racial bullshit that's out there and get together on these issues, you, we could literally yeah. change the country. We could literally yeah. change the country for the better for everybody. Uh, if you get, I mean, and not just on those issues, on all issues. If everybody, if the working class and lower would get together and put, set aside the racial shit uh, that that divides you so much that you're just trying to make sure you're doing better than the black guy or the Hispanic guy or the white guy or whatever, you know, whatever you're trying to do. If you would just set that aside and say, here's what we want. Uh, you know, here's th- these are the things that we want. We we so outnumber those people. I mean, it's it's insane. You know, they they would they well, wouldn't know what hit them. But well, you know? and, and of course, history shows that there have been efforts, there have been attempts made to do that. I want to say that there was one even uh, just before the passage of the 1901 Constitution, where yep. in this state you had poor whites and and uh, recently freed blacks who were aligning politically. Uh, we know Dr. King was definitely 
on that track with the Poor People's uh, March and movement that, uh, you know, you know, and of course he was killed. He was assassinated. Uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Barber currently today is uh, helping to lead a movement um, that I think is based on the basic premise, you know, that, you know, but there are always, there are always efforts to, and of course they have to be a little bit more sophisticated today. Uh, they can't be as brazenly uh, violent and racist as they once were, but there's yeah. always an effort, I think, to try to keep that from happening because, because the, the, you know, the powers that be, as we like to say, know exactly what you're saying is true. That if we could get together based on income and based on aspirations, yeah. uh, man, you know, you'd see a rainbow coalition of people. Yeah. And uh, the powers that be would have to change their ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a shame that, uh, that so many people are so devoted, uh, to, to honestly, it's so devoted to racism in a lot of, in a lot of cases, uh, that they would vote against their own interests and, and, th- and for, and for people who are just, uh, just killing them. I mean, just look at our state. I mean, my God. All right, uh, but you know there are people out there that, uh, that that try to work against this and uh, and and try to help us all out. One of them is uh, Beverly Cooper, who founded uh, Stand Up Mobile, uh, and she is going to join us here in just a minute uh, on Alabama politics this week. We'll be back in a minute. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are happy to have with us now Beverly Cooper, who I... I'm, I'm guessing you're the the founder of Stand Up Mobile. Is that right? um, Josh, I'm a co-founder. Co-founder. Yes. My... Best friend and somebody that we tend to have these kinds of conversations with about what's happening in our community and what things we need to be busy, uh, you know, at least educating ourselves and participating in is Amelia Bacon. We've known each other for uh, the 35 years that I've actually been in Mobile. Uh, And Stand Up Mobile was uh, the conversation started, would you believe, on January the 6th, 2021. That noon, yep. Was anything else going on that day? Oh my gosh! Right. <laughs> by, the, by the time we finished with uh, uh, watching television, and everybody's going, "Can you believe this?" or "What? What does this mean? Wow. What does that mean?" That evening, we actually had about twenty-five people on a Zoom call, and the conversation was, you know, these are the kinds of things that we, so many of us, are asking questions about. What does this mean? How can this happen? I thought the Constitution did this. 
And we said, you know what, we probably need to talk more often about things that are going on, uh, not only in Washington, D.C., but also going on in our state and in our communities. And I said, yeah, you know what, and sometimes we need to stand up. And that was kind of like it, it said, stand up. And after that, it was, all right, this is our day. And we proceeded to move from there with yeah. uh, getting out into the community and uh, collecting information, talking to people, telling us what are your concerns? Uh, what are some of the things that are most important to you? How can we all thrive? And uh, right. that was how we were born. Oh, that's a uh, that's pretty. Uh, that's first of all, it's awesome. Uh, that and really, uh, that that kind of organic uh, formation is is really, uh, I, I think, common. Uh, more common than people realize is just. Uh, I think people oftentimes associate these these grand. Uh, you know, nonprofits and other things like this as though they were born out of, you know, these these great people, you know, sitting down in these really smart rooms or whatever. And most of the time, it's just some people that said, this is not right. We've got to do something about this. And uh, so that, that's a really, that's really neat. What, uh, so tell me a little bit more about Stand Up Mobile. What, what all, what all you do now uh, well, in, in terms of standing up? Right. Our desire was to re see if we could actually engage the community in uh, more involvement and representation. Citizen engagement is nothing new, but uh, over the years, it just seems that folks have kind of quieted down, thinking about either things that, that are important to them. They might call and maybe have a conversation or two with a small group of individuals. And then when you say, well, if you were that concerned, what did you do about it? Who did you talk with? Did you suggest that there were some things that perhaps need to change? And what we started to think about more uh, often than not was the representation we had locally, statewide, and in the federal government. So we initially started, uh, uh, as I mentioned, community meetings, mm -hmm. uh, invited people out to come and fill out a quick questionnaire for us, tell us what district you live in, city council district that is, tell us what are the concerns that you have. And individuals and uh, communities started saying, we're concerned about lights in our community, proper representation. We certainly like to make sure that that our communities are safe, that our children have uh, playgrounds and places that they can go and, and enjoy themselves and be safe at the same time. We're also concerned with the sometimes we notice that the when we call the city, say, for a pothole or some other issues that we have, the response doesn't come that quickly. And Josh, I think one of the things that most people said, where do we start? It was, oh, I've got a pothole. There's a number that I can call. And if nothing happens, what do I do about it then? You know, right. so it's a matter of making sure you know who your representative is. You know, the one thing that you can do is sometimes when your voice is not being heard, you've elected this person to actually represent you and the folks in the community in which you live. Reach mm -hmm. out to them. There, there are ways to get it done. Stand Up Mobile started uh, getting uh, participation or calls to participate in various things that were going on in the community, everything from just community meetings or community uh, neighborhood fairs. And as we got out, again, as I said, we started to collect names and addresses. We also collected information on what the concerns they have. Our primary interest was in uh, districts one, two, and three since that's a, the area where you find the, the largest number of African-Americans living. And what we were concerned is that the, those neighborhoods, in our opinion, had essentially been abandoned by the city. You could find uh, facilities in, in major disrepair, uh, incredibly outdated um, systems, uh, ditches, 
uh, areas, you know, full of standing water, for example, broken roads, no sidewalks, again, no lighting and things of that nature. And we said, listen, it's important. Our communities need to thrive. We need to uh, afford the same attention to these neighborhoods that we do to others. And there are, we have a youth group that's working with us right now. And one of the things that they have decided that they'd like to do is to be able to demonstrate this. So they're kind of riding around, taking photographs and saying, okay, here's what something looks like in this district, which has been neglected. Here's another district over here where it looks like there's a lot of attention being paid to things that happen. They wanna be able to say, okay, when we look at these, can, I, can we get an understanding from our city administration about why does this exist? From our council representative, why does this exist? And what is it we need to do about it? We, you know, we believe that the best shot at getting the representation and attention we deserve is by having a voice at the table. So uh, that's what Stand Up Mobile has been doing. Our voice at the table so far has been attending city council meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So you know, during the process of redistricting for mm -hmm. almost one full year, we had individuals there every week making sure that they were voicing concerns, opinions. Some people came down in support, but it, the point yeah. was, that the citizens were engaged and they showed up every morning. So, so Ms. Cooper, so yes, Ms. Cooper, let me ask you a question here. Um, I'm on your Facebook page <laughs> mm -hmm. and I noticed that uh, you have, it looks as though if I'm reading this right, that you have 472 followers. Okay. That's fairly modest. It is. Yeah. Um, what is that, do you think that that's an indication of, the fact that um, that your your movement is still in its early growth stages, or does it indicate maybe a larger problem that we see uh, not just in Mobile, perhaps, but in Huntsville, where I am, and around the state, even around the country, and that's apathy. Yeah, we had David. You know, we don't want. I don't want to give too much in terms of the the discussion about apathy, but that certainly exists, and that's one of the things that we see. I'll tell you what's interesting, though, is that we will have something happens in the city, and it could be um, someone's concern. Oh, a good example is recently we had there was a police chase. Apparently, the uh, the a home of an individual where the police chase happened. The home was run into. The family was concerned about the fact that they didn't really get a response from the city about, wait a minute, you know, this this driver being chased by the police wrecks our house, but there was no concern about how the family was doing, what things were being provided. We actually got a phone call where someone said to us, what are you going to do about it? So they, it's a, and I'm thinking, okay, well, look, I understand what you're saying. Stand Up Mobile is concerned about that. Now we can't be on top of all of these issues. We need your voice. If that's a concern and you're coming from that community, we'll certainly assist you with being able to make your voice heard. So what we tend to see is that folks will readily call either Amelia Bacon or myself or some of the other members just to have a private conversation and then ask us to take it on. And we've said, okay, there are ways that we need to work on that. There is this desire to be a part, but they're worried about some folks are concerned about, well, I don't want to do anything that could jeopardize my job or the community in which I live or the school that my children go to. I don't want them to be harassed because they think I'm my opinion or something I'm involved in 
is necessarily not ne the, the, the best thing to do for our community, or we just don't want to voice an opinion. So there is some of that. There is the apathy. We are a young organization because if you think 21 is not that long ago, the other part was as we started to get busy, we didn't create a, a Facebook page on a website right away. We mm -hmm. immediately started working and then it's, oh my gosh, you can't do anything without social media these days. So or right. we ended up actually doing that. We hope so, to see we hope to see it grow. Yeah. Uh, large number of the individuals that we are involved with aren't necessarily on social media. Okay. So what's your leverage? What's your political leverage? It's probably our ability to, we have partners. We have a great number of partners in the mobile community. Um, as we worked on the concerns about redistricting, we partnered with uh, the NAACP. All right. When you think about if there's a voice in the African-American community from a national perspective and probably one of the oldest and one that tends to uh, be at least identified and recognized that they are people of serious concern and that can be trusted. It's the NAACP. We also have a large group of, uh, there's an organization here called the IMA. It's the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance. That's what you need. I mean, the voices of ministers are have always been in citizen engagement and community efforts to be able to make change. And they were immediately a part of the of our concerns and also partnering with us to be able to bring these issues forward. The League of Women Voters have been supportive of our efforts and have been a part of it. Another organization called Wade in the Water, which is a faith-based organization, Faith in Action members. So our leverage has been that we partner with individuals who already have a presence in our community, who are already working, Poor People's Campaign, People United to Advance the Dream. I could go on and on with the ones who've identified. We've identified with them, and they've identified with us. The community is coming to trust us because they have begun to see us out more often. So they will, if there's something that happening happening in the community, they'll say, Mrs. Cooper, what do you think and what should we do? We don't try to give them uh, answers about what they should do. What we suggest is, think. let's think about what are the concerns here? How did it affect you and your family? Where is the best place to be able to go and to start to ask your questions? And what should those questions look like? So we help people formulate the questions. And we also assist them with being able to understand it. We've been focusing so much on education, on annexation right now, that we're creating um, information here, handout sheets that say, these are some of the terms that you'll hear in annexation. And here's what they tend to mean. Here's what they may perhaps mean locally and, and mobile, but they could be something different in another part of the state or in another city. These are the questions, and here are the questions, a series of questions that constantly come up that if we were doing this just by ourselves, these are the kinds of questions that we put before our uh, representatives and the administration. You know, you, you brought up uh, the annexation a couple of times. Yes. Um, and, uh, and and I guess we should probably delve into that just a little bit more. Sure. Uh, what So what 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 is what is going on in Mobile in terms of this annexation? Uh, I, I guess let's just start there. What, what, what is, what's going on in, with, with the annexation? What are they trying to do? And, uh, and, and why is this a big deal? Well, Josh, the, we had just finished um, uh, the redistricting process as a result of the 2020 um, uh, census, mm -hmm. where there was an opportunity for Mobile to actually have a fourth Black district where African-Americans could select a person of their choice in terms of leadership in the city. 
which was really great. We were very excited about that. We knew and had heard some uh, comments that the next item that was going to be coming forward for the community was going to be around annexation. And uh, the city of Mobile had released some proposals that um, indicated that the administration was interested in annexing about 20,000 new residents into the city so that we could become the second largest. All right. So <clears throat> we were like, okay, well, what what's the why? What's the big deal there? Our focus was ensuring, first of all, that when we started to understand that that's the direction our government wanted to go, is what do we want to do about that? You know, we are vested in something that uh, 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 that could make a big change in the city. And we need to have folks understand that if this is a direction that we're going to go in, here's some of the concerns that you perhaps have, and here's how it would affect our city for at least the next decade. Um, an example is in 2019, just before the 2020 census, the mayor of Mobile proposed an annexation of around 11,000 individuals at that time. And there was a lot of concern that there was an effort to change the demographics before the census. Okay. Ah, so here we are. Well, the it, it didn't get through, which was a good thing. And since that effort failed, what it ended up showing was that indeed there's a Mobile is a majority black city. And that happened with the 2020, 2020 census. Mm -hmm. So as a result of those results, the city was required to go through redistricting, which we did. So now we're through that. We already have an opportunity for a greater participation on the part of African-Americans. But then weeks, just a few weeks after the decision was decided on redistricting was when annexation came up. And this was when there was a decision to say annexation is something that the city wants to do. It sees it as important for increasing the number. They want to be the second largest city. The mayor said that we are, would become eligible for more federal grants. Uh, and we're saying, okay, well, you know, that's a good thing. What are we doing with the grants we already have? Are there right. communities? Could there be a better way? The other is we don't believe that there's a reason to think that you want to run your city off of federal grants either. We think that there's probably something else that you might want to think about when you're looking at how do you run your city. So our concern, we see annexation is complicated. There are certain nuances to the process. So it's important to educate the community so that our citizens can really understand its potential impact. Um, we, uh, Look, Kim, Kim you know, just so we're, we're, we're not we're not talking around it uh, okay. a little bit. Kim, uh, I'll just ask the question flat out. All right. uh, do y'all believe that this is an effort uh, to kind of subvert what the census showed that 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 Mobile is a majority black uh, city and that they want to make sure that the representation does not reflect that? Yes, we do. We be we certainly believe that. Yeah, we, we believe that, that and, and it is. Our concern is that Mobile, if in terms of being a, a great city and the things that you would want, there doesn't need necessarily need to be a concentration on thinking that the power structure needs to always necessarily be in terms of the white individuals who live in this community and in this city. That there are things that are contributed by every, every part, every neighborhood, um, every culture, every race and that there's an opportunity for everyone to participate without necessarily going through these uh, uh, calisthenics of trying to figure out ways that you could actually subvert the opportunity for African-Americans to have a controlling piece of that. 
and maybe see a different representation in Government Plaza, because that's not something that you tend to see right now. We're, we're committed to engaging the community in this process and trying to have them understand every step of the way, what are the concerns that I need to understand about how this affects, where do I have a voice, and then let's get that voice heard. Uh, city Council right now has been promising to get out with um, a community meetings throughout the city, and we constantly encourage them to do that. Uh, I know on one occasion I spoke before City Council and there was a concern that I had suggested that they were doing small individual meetings. And my concern is, is like um, individual citizens, one or two that you think you might want to invite, they might have some thoughts. But Mobile is made up of more than just a group of, of special selected individual citizens that uh, who have a voice and where stand up Mobile, Mobile comes in. Yeah, you you mentioned that uh, that they that they were unsuccessful in annexing the eleven thousand. Do you feel like y'all could have some success in in stopping, or it, or is the goal to stop this? Well, like that's what I mentioned to you earlier. It's you know our desire is if the help me understand how changing one of the things is Mobile has been constantly losing population, and that if you probably even if you look at our census numbers right now, it was twenty twenty. There have been a couple of times when I've heard it suggested by representatives of city council that if you take a look at where we are right now, you probably see that those numbers have significantly changed. So that we're constantly losing population and that population tends to be the white population in Mobile. What is it about changing the boundaries of where it is that's going to be able to constantly guarantee you that you'll be able to be the second largest city in, in Alabama, or that you'll be able to have this significant number of individuals for, for grants. Our desire is to say that if you want to be able to annex and do it so that it is really something that is good for the city, let's step back a minute. Can we take care of those areas that we know that have been neglected for so long before you essentially bring in another group of, of individuals that have to be taken care of. One speaker before city council suggested that, uh, why would you adopt more children when it's already seems that you're not able to take care of the ones that you have? Yeah. And if we just put it, you know, that's, that's a very simplistic approach or thought, but it really does communicate quite well. We've got yeah. so many areas where there is a great need that are not being sufficiently taken care of. Just a few days ago, oh no, yes, Today is what, Thursday? Yeah, two days ago at City Council, a young woman came in and spoke before City Council. She was included in the annexation uh, 15 years ago, she said, and in an, a small area uh, out in Theodore, Alabama. And she said the thing that was so important to her is that they were promised a park. And she's been waiting for this park for 15 years. So now and then now she hears that her representative is saying that, well, we've decided to use that money for something else. So as you see, so Josh, it's like we go from depending on who the mayor is, you can go from one administration to the next. And it sounds like there's no commitment to maybe uphold those things that were decided on or agreed on before. So that, that's where the doubt comes in. That's why we're saying, can we step back, take care of what we need to take care of right now? Let's let's make sure that the communities that we already have that need to be lifted up, repairs made, you know, give kids sidewalks so that they can walk to school, make sure that they live in communities where there is not standing water, appropriate lights, 
things of that nature. And you know what's so interesting? We found this during the um, the campaign, the um, election this year. Some of the areas we went into uh, where they were doing um, community um, meetings and uh, holding campaign uh, rallies, we would set up a table just to be there to understand. We did some voter registration as well. And then, as I mentioned, collecting information on what concerns people have. You Here we are standing right in one area where there is an open ditch with standing mm-hmm. water in it. People would come up to our table. We'd talk to them and we'd ask them about, have you voiced your concern about this in your neighborhood? And they said, yes, we have. But at the same time that they talk about how bad that is for the neighborhood, in their next breath, they love their neighborhood. Mm. They just want it to be to be better. You know, yeah. you you think about think about their thoughts. What they want in their community is to be able to have good, safe streets, clean streets, no standing water, lights, right. participation in on in government and decision making that benefits them right. for a change. There's an area. There's a, a Ms. Cooper. There's an area. Yes. Uh, that abuts Mobile, um, I believe. It's called Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Eight Mile? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, I know a few years back I was there a couple of times because uh, there was a real problem with, uh, uh, and I don't. I'm sorry, I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details, but there was a real problem with a sort of a toxic emission that was coming. Um, that was uh, uh, infesting the city. It was affecting the groundwater. It was in the air. Uh, People were uh, contracting uh, serious diseases and or health problems, developing health problems due to this. Do you know uh, where things stand with 8 Mile today? You know what? That's a that's a good uh, point that you're making, David. Someone suggested that that was another opportunity for us to understand where they believe that the city had failed a community, and um, and I had I don't know, but I do remember exactly what you're talking about. That there was a lot of discussion around that, and there were some efforts taken out there. That's that's an area we probably need to go ahead and and get our information together on, so that because this is the second time it's actually come up as a question for us. Um, but I'll be more than happy to do that and follow up with you and Josh. Yeah. Well, listen, Ms. Gover, we appreciate you coming on um, and, and spending some time. If, if folks want to get in touch with y'all or if they want to be part of Stand Up Mobile, what, what do they need? How do they get in touch with you? How do they need to contact y'all? The, the best way to contact us is really on our website. And that's sum hyphen a blueprint for us.org sum hyphen a blueprint for us.org all right all right well listen I, y'all go there uh and because they're you know it's it's for you it's, and, you it, know, it's, it's, and we have that facebook page so david's right it's like right. yeah tell all your friends to get on there so the next time we talk to him we've at least doubled it david <laughs> right. that's right yeah get on there and double up that facebook number <laughs> for david and, and just and leave him a message tell him this for david uh, you know, and let him let him know tell david we shot by you know that's uh 
but let's th- hi, thank you for for coming on and, and thank you for your efforts there. Uh, if we, you know, we need more people. We need more people like yes. you uh, to because education is is a big key in all of this. And if uh, the more educated people are, the better we all are. Uh, so thank you for what you do and for spending some time with us. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Civic engagement is important to us, and I thank you for this opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. That is uh, Beverly Cooper with Stand Up Mobile. Um, we're going we're gonna to slide out. Uh, we'll come back, wrap this show up in just a minute. Alabama Politics this week. We're back in a sec. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be, uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections, uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, it's in the, uh, been a little while since I mentioned this, but if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email. Several you know, several people still do. And then some people just email me at uh, uh, at, at the at the APR address that I have, but if you'd like to do it more formally, it's uh, apwproducer at gmail dot com. It's apwproducer at gmail dot com. We'll get you an email in here, and we'll we'll cover some things for you. Uh, if you have any questions, or you know, we'll go back over them for you. Yep. Um, and then also a rating and reviewing, man. Uh, we uh, we need some more we need some more reviews and some more ratings. And uh, so go to go to the Apple Podcasts and rate us, review us, uh, let us know. What's going on? Uh, unless it's a bad review, then <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Uh, all righty. Uh, moving along, our uh, let's uh, let's uh, first of all let's give some kudos. Uh, yeah. Kay Ivy, uh, uh, domestic violence grant. She's done some good things of late uh, that mm-hmm. we I think both of us agree with. Uh, the domestic violence grants. Uh, she she made a turn on the. Uh, uh, open records laws that, uh, that kind of freed things up a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. she's also done some things with, with mental health care, uh, and expanding access to that. And I am, I, I hear, I hear that there are maybe some other healthcare related expansions to come. Expansions. And, is that a key word in that uh, phrase? That may be a key word in that. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. so we, we shall see. Now uh, we've been hearing that for, I've heard that on and off for a while though. So yeah, I think it's getting a little more serious now. I think yeah? that there's actually a physical okay. plan in place at this point. Okay. So we'll see. Okay. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but, okay. uh, and, and I think that uh, some very big players are on board with that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, but kudos to her, right? I yeah. mean, it's, uh, she's, uh, it's, it's amazing how when there's no election around the corner for these people that they turn into liberals all of a sudden, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really how, it's how they, they start resisting the right wing lunacy and, uh, and mm. turn towards uh, reason and, uh, what's actually best for people. Uh, you know, I mean, it really is, it really is nuts, right? 
So, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's interesting that you don't hear about this stuff, like you said, during election cycles. You Instead, you, you hear the crazy stuff and see the crazy yeah. commercials. But apparently in 2022, ADECA, uh, I guess it's through the same mechanism, distributed nearly $2 million through the trust fund to uh, agencies that that help and support uh, domestic violence survivors. And, and, and so they're doing uh, this again. And, um, and apparently there's a mechanism in play where this, uh, I think the funding comes from, let me see, where did I see that? Was it from uh, the marriage? Let's see. I'm trying to see what, let me, yeah, the marriage recording fees. Yeah. So the funding apparently comes from the marriage recording fees, but you've got a, a, a really healthy list of places that represent probably the vast majority of the state, Josh, from, you know, Colbert County, Franklin, Marion, Cherokee, Coleman, Madison, you know, just Blount County, St. Clair. I mean, just up and down the state. Um even down into the Black Belt, Dallas, and Green Counties, all of these places, Baldwin County, all of these places that are serving um, uh, domestic violence survivors. So this yeah. is a, this is a very good thing. Very oh, absolutely, good thing. absolutely, it is. It's a uh, it, it is a an app absolute. I mean, you know, whatever we can do in this vein. Um, and and to take the uh, recording fees, I would I would prefer it if we would take the fees that were. That we're currently paying over to the Confederate uh, Museum, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and use that instead. But let's uh, yeah. that you know whatever we can use to to help out these folks that that are going through this. Um, it's we're we're all for the better. It's a real it's a real issue, and there are not enough services out there to help these folks. And so whatever we can do with our tax money uh, to to help them, I think that's a, that's a very good thing. And Amen. and kudos yeah. to Kay Ivy for for yeah. doing that. Uh, it's, you're right though, man. It, you know. And I, I don't. What it's a it's a chicken and the egg thing, you know, for me on, on these. Like you mentioned, the commercials and the ads and the things that get said during the campaign, and and you know that they're saying them because those are the things that resonate with the voters that they're trying to attract, right? So why is it that this doesn't resonate with the voters that you're trying to attract? You know what what's what's the deal? You know, what what is the why why are why are we such assholes here? You know, I mean, yeah, seriously. It's real, yeah, no, it's it's really. You're right. It's it's. There's something very twisted about it, especially. Quite honestly, I mean, if we're just going to be, you know, honest, many of the people that probably vote for the governor mm-hmm. have have a real clear sense of what domestic violence is and what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably do because this is not this is domestic violence isn't something that um, is some, you know, uh, sporadic phenomenon. I mean, it's unfortunately it's a part of daily life for many, many people, either directly or through family members and friends. We Mm -hmm. all know somebody we have known somebody who uh, has been subjected to this. So. It would seem as though, you know, knowing that your governor was very concerned about this issue and was being proactive to help survivors, it would seem as though 
that would appeal to people across the political spectrum. But apparently it doesn't. And maybe maybe it just doesn't appeal enough. I don't I don't know. I don't I mean, it's I I don't understand why this is the thing is always and maybe it's I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person. You know, I mean, things have to make sense to me, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of things. And if they don't, it drives me insane, you know, to hear it. it it's like, oh, I tell you one of the things that, uh, just to illustrate this. One of the things that drives me nuts is now where you get uh, this little thing on a board where somebody's asking you for a tip for a pickup order somewhere. You know what I mean? It just drives, you, you didn't do anything. Don't look at me that way. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, and I'm I'm happy to tip people. And I'm. I, Although I will say also pragmatic here, the fact that we're allowed to pay these servers $3 an hour, yeah. or whatever the hell it is, two eighty five, uh, it is, is yeah. horseshit. Yeah. Okay. And then I am expected to pick it up on a tip that was originally meant to show that I'm appreciative of their very good service that they've provided me when they came over to do this. That's bullshit. It's taking money out of their pocket, uh, and putting it into, into a business owner's pocket and I'm fine with paying a higher price for food or whatever we have to do. But anyways, that's that's where how my mind works is is these sort of things. I it it when things don't make sense to me, that's it, it drives me insane. And one of the things that doesn't make sense to me is how people refuse time and time and time again to pay attention to just the everyday situation in in their communities, in their lives, in their homes. And, and and vote that way, uh, you know, and, and I'll have these conversations with people so often. It's just like the school choice thing. You know, I've, I've got people that, that I that I know that they're, well, that's school choice. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you're, you're sending your kid to a great public school right now. It, you, you love everybody there. Well, I think everybody should have. What are you what are you talking about? <laughs> How do you think this is the answer for that? Yeah. You know? How do you think this is the answer? Uh, and then I'll say, okay, let's say, let's say you're right. Let's say you're right. And, and tomorrow, this school that you're sending your kid to turns terrible. Okay. Well, and they declare it a failing school and they allow you to take your kid and the money and go to a private school or wherever. They're not going to give you any transportation. They're not going to, they're going to help you to get the kid over there in any way. So you're going to have to drive them wherever they, they're going, uh, which for you may be fine. But for a certain number of people, we know that's, that's, that's not fine. Whether it be for a work situation or lack of transportation altogether, what have you, they're not going to be there. So you're going to leave a majority of children that are in that school currently in a right. failing school, and you're going to remove that money. How do you think that's going to work? Right. And how does that benefit society in the long run? Yeah. And then you turn around and complain about, you know, the social ills. Well, you're 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 helping to create the social ills, you know, by a thousand percent, a thousand. Yeah. Look at you. Let me give you a case study. Montgomery, Alabama, mm-hmm. Montgomery, Alabama right now. And and these people that are just dumping all over Stephen Reed as the mayor. Uh, as though he's the big problem at, with the city of Montgomery and, and the crime issues that they're having. And it has nothing to do with the 60 plus years of racism and segregation and defunding of schools and black neighborhoods and, and defunding of, of education for poor people as we started through integration. And, and it became more of a black and white issue uh, because, uh, you know, you all the, the rich whites went to 
uh, private schools and moved out to, you know, to the suburbs somewhere around Montgomery. And everybody else was left in these schools that we that they just didn't care about. I mean, dude, I have gone into those schools on, on the front. They didn't have enough desks for them in classrooms. Kids would be lining the walls sitting there and they didn't have a book. They would just sit there in the class up against the wall with no book. And they did, would do this for a couple of weeks until they tried to get things sorted out. Uh, and, and it was just, you think that's happening in Mountain Brook? Right. Vestavia? No, Madison no. County? Madison City Schools? You think it's happened ever? Nope. You know what? You, you know, there would be a riot in the streets if, to, if on the first day of class in a Madison City School, they showed up and their kids had to sit on the floor. Are you kidding me? They'd fire everybody over there. Yep. This would this well, happened routinely in Montgomery. Routinely, well, Josh. As a, as a black man, one of the keys to survival I have learned for me is to never underestimate the ability of white society as a whole to succumb to selective memory uh-huh. and and deep, deep, deep denial. Oh, that's what happens. So yeah. I know, you know, not not individual whites. You know, uh, many of you know know the history and you understand the connections, you connect the dots. But as a collective, man, y'all got selective memory and the denial drug has you all high. I mean, as a a collective. We're basically four year olds. I understand. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Listen, I know. And it's a fair it's a fair assessment of uh, of of the, uh, you know, of us collectively as a group. It's. uh, that's and, a that's a very and, fair and that's assessment. the only way as a and, and and Josh that's the only way as a black man I can sit over here and not blow a gasket every day because the truth of the matter is it's just you know it doesn't like you're saying and I see you over there you're getting worked up and I appreciate <laughs> that passion but see I I you know and I and I want to do that every day but I know I can't do that you know I got I'll, I'll I'll end up you know I'll end up having a heart attack or something. So I just have to say to myself, okay, there's that selective memory again. There's that deep denial again, you know? You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the skit on SNL right after Trump won the election in 2016 and and Chappelle hosted. And he had Chris, and like the first skit of the show was he had uh, uh, Chris Rock come in and they're supposedly watching, you know, they're supposed to be watching the election returns and the white people in the room are just like, uh, can you believe this? People are not that racist, are you? And, and they're like, I don't know. Let's see how it goes, you know. <laughs> that's just how it was right here. Was, yeah. uh, oh, that's a, that's a good outrage you got there, my man. How about that? Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. Good luck. Uh, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, listen, it, it just, I, I don't know. It, the the All of it just just drives me insane from time to time. And, you know, just the, the way we, the way we go about stuff and uh but you know uh, occasionally uh we will have a um and and they usually come at very odd times uh we'll have a very in-depth and in some ways um meaningful discussion about about race and racism uh and and usually they happen in in the not around the the most controversial 
uh, topics. But, uh, yeah, but you know, in this case, I guess maybe it was. And, and I was talking about the column you wrote about Devin Keith, the Huntsville City Councilman, uh, which yeah. I thought was a, a fantastic column, by the way. Uh, and it uh, it prompted a uh, a discussion. Um, and and I knew it was uh, I knew it was, there were a lot of people had chimed in. I didn't. You said it was one of the 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 most commented on columns you thought you had on on Facebook in, in on a my long face, time on my Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so I, what, what do you? I get. What, what do you think was the was the impetus for that? I mean, why why did this touch a nerve so much? Well, I think because. I think because, first of all, a lot of people, black and white, I mean, for those who hadn't seen the column, uh, you know, my position basically is that Devin Keith, who the council, the Huntsville City Councilman, who's been uh, who's facing, uh, I think, 31 allegations of uh, of uh, shoplifting. A lot of people feel that assuming those allegations are true that 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 it indicates a problem right a problem mm-hmm. that needs help yeah. and so i think people feel like if that is the case uh you know this guy is if you've ever heard him talk he's smart talented um you know he's he's someone who has the potential who's already shown a potential to contribute to society and who I think has has not lost that just because of this problem in his life. He he deserves a chance at redemption. Now, redemption doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, that he needs to be on the city council if he's found guilty of these things, or you know, or even if he's not found guilty. You know, perhaps he still needs to step down and and get some space between himself and these allegations, but. But but I think what people do believe is that redemption is key. A second chance is key, especially for somebody so young and so gifted. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah, and I thought so too. And I mean, you know, what what, what Nick Saban once gave this great uh, discussion at a press conference after one of his players got in trouble. And, um, and and he got some criticism for not removing him from the team. And uh, he said, okay, let's, let, let's talk about this. And let's talk about what we want for the person, you know. And he talked about a guy that he had at Michigan State that had a similar issue that he didn't kick off the team. The guy went on and he made him do certain things. He was disciplined. He hadn't made him go through certain things. The guy went on, played in the NFL, ended up being a business owner. Now uh, owns multiple businesses, is a multimillionaire, has a has a wife and kids, a great family. Um, and he said, you know, okay, what, what would have happened if I kicked him off the team? And where would he have gone? What would he have done? Uh, you know, and it's the same situation here. You can't save everybody, and I'm not saying that. But at the same time, what do you want for people? What do you want? What what's what's in your head? Is it just retribution? Is it just you know? Are, are, are you just looking to kick people, or do you do you want to see them just punished? Is that all you care about, or would you like to see the individuals that that find themselves in some trouble somehow or another redeem themselves? Get themselves back, get the help that they need, get get out from underneath this and go on and, and live a productive life and be productive in society. And and, you know, with, with for me, Devin Keith, and I don't know him at all, uh, right. but I, I, I know of of the things that he's done and the people that he's helped. And uh, and so it seems it seems that you're very close there to having a person who makes a huge, huge difference in a lot of people's lives. Uh, for a long period of time, 
And he has an issue that is hampering that productivity for society. And if there is a way to correct that issue and get back to the person that was just benefiting society as a whole, that's the way you go about it. I mean, why would you not want that? I don't understand that. I mean, is it just is it just the fact that 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 he's a a black Democrat and you don't? I mean, that that's what's driving everybody to, you know. And it's listen, I, I, it's the same way for for Republicans or whatever. If if these if if I believe that this is a good person that's going to do good things, I, I don't care that I don't agree with them politically on certain issues. It, I you know, I would like for them to to overcome whatever sure. it is and, and get back to. You know, to, to benefiting society in some way and uh, and benefiting themselves and, you know, and those around them. I mean, we you know we forget a lot of times about these folks that have, you know, they have kids and families and, and uh, all these people around them that that believe in them and trust them and, and want them to do good. And it affects their lives on a daily basis. And let's be honest, for the most part, whatever happens to Devin Keith from here on out, won't affect me or you or 99% of the people that are commenting on this. It won't affect them at all, at all, ever, you know? And so why are, why are you so invested in, in this alternative where it's just kind of the hatefulness of it? I, that's what I don't understand. Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, we as we've talked about before, there's sort of a punitive um, uh, streak, if you want to call it that, a cruel streak, if you want to call it that, that runs through our, our community, our society, our yeah. even our nation, you know, uh, where we just, you know, there's a segment of us who just believe that, you know, people get, well, he's getting what's coming to him. Well, you know, but then, but then I think if we're all honest, we realize that if it's our child yeah. or our spouse, you know, or our loved one, you know, we're all for mercy and grace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're all for right. a second chance. And, yeah. we're, and it's real easy for us to humanize them and, and, and talk about the good that they've done. Well, you know, that's, that's what this is. I think this is just, you know, I think many of us saying innocent or guilty, this guy deserves a shot at redemption and and there's a way to go about that. We're not saying just you know, uh, you know, forego the justice process. No, right. we're saying yeah. in conjunction with the justice process. Yes, you know? and you know, and maybe that right there uh, is is kind of the key to our issues with our corrections system all around. Is that we don't associate our correction system. And the punishment that is received there as being uh, one step in the ultimate goal of correcting the behavior and producing you know, citizens that are that are productive uh, again and, and 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 fixing these these problems within within people. We we don't see it that way. Yeah, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up and I just forgot about it when we were I forget but we just you know move we moved so quick on, on the conversation that that we were having uh, earlier uh in uh, about the the man who was uh frozen to death, uh, yeah. Tony Mitchell. Yeah. Um you know, was the fact that there was so much rhetoric, political rhetoric that destroyed the conversation around uh defunding the police. All right. And and I, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that I thought that that was a ridiculous, you know, kind of moniker to put on that thing. OK, I mean, I, I felt like it undermined what what people wanted to do 
overall because the major goal there and, and we see we're seeing it happen in a lot of cities all across the country red states blue states blue cities red cities all over we're seeing this happen and, and a lot of people agree with it and one of the things they want to have is a mental health expert that is available to go with police on such calls that can advise them on how to best handle this situation, can talk to, let's say, a, a person is suicidal and holding a gun to their head inside of a home in Huntsville. Uh, instead of sending a cowboy in with a shotgun, we send in a mental health expert to talk to that person and to talk them down and to, and to de-escalate the situation. The same thing could have been done with Tony Mitchell uh, instead of, and instead of the ridicule and the cruelty that we that was experienced there, we might have gotten to a, a, a place where Tony Mitchell could have, because it seemed like he had a great family uh, that were that were involved in, in a lot of his life, and we could have gotten to a point with Tony Mitchell where he could have gotten some help and and maybe gotten back to that person who a lot of people loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I just you know, it's it's just. We don't. I don't know, man. It's like we we've we've separated out these two, and and people only care about the punishment part of it, and and they've and they've stopped caring about whether or not the the actual person involved in this is taken care of in any way. And I just I don't understand it because let me tell you, it doesn't cost any more money. Okay, we couldn't. It couldn't be costing us more money than what we're doing now. To, to house these people and keep them housed and, and then continue to return to prison because of the way that we're, we're failing on the corrections portion of this, it couldn't cost us any more money. It could not. And so I, I don't know. It just drives me insane some days to talk about this stuff, but uh, you know, here we are. Here we are. Uh, yeah. Here we are. Once again, week after week. Yeah. <laughs> day by day. <laughs> um, uh, but no, it's, uh, you know, uh, right wing nut. So, yeah. you know, we've got a whole bunch of folks uh, who were just appalled that uh, actress uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Lee Ralph um, sang the what, what is commonly called the Negro National Anthem or the Black National Anthem at the Super Bowl. And uh, there's some folks out there who were extremely critical of it, like, uh, you know, that, that con- nutty congresswoman from uh, Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and some guy on Newsmax, I think his name is Barry Johnson or something like that. Just, you know, in fact, I think he's the one that says it needs to be banned, right? So I wanted to read the lyrics of this dangerous song that was written back in the 19, I want to say it was the 1920s. I think it was uh-huh. written in the 1920s, right? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we need to put a disclaimer on this for for sensitive people? That, oh. uh, because uh, is this going to be really anti-America and, uh, and 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 so unpatriotic that we need to, to warn our our white listeners? Yeah. No, I think I think they're okay. I okay. think they're going to okay. be okay. I Listen, I I'll, I'll I'll listen with my white ear. Okay. Uh, and and if I hear anything that I think might offend them, I'll let you know. And uh, you can interrupt me or you can bleep it out. Whatever. Sure, whatever sure, sure, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. So here we go. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring with the, ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Rolling sea. There you go. 
Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. That's verse one. Verse two, and there are only three verses to this song, right? Um, <clears throat> I think we're okay two. so far. We're okay so, so far? far. Yeah, so far. So far, so good. No, I okay. don't think. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed? We have come over a way that with tears have been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out from the gloomy past, till now we stand at last, where the white gleam of our bright stars cast. How, how was that? Was that okay? I, you, you were bordering on, it almost seemed as though there was a reference there to maybe things haven't always been great in this country. And I, yeah. I don't I don't know. It's, it's bordering, though. It's, uh, okay. I think it might have been so complex that most people couldn't understand it, so I think we're okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Now here's the last verse. So watch me, watch me carefully on this. Okay. Okay. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on the way, thou who hast by thy night might, let me read that again. I want to make sure I'm clear on that so that there's no people won't think I'm trying to slide something by them. Thou who hast by thy might, let us into the light. Keep us forever in the path we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts drink from the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God. True to our native land. Okay. One, one thing. Oh, I just okay. I just want to make sure one thing. Okay, the God that's referenced there, uh-huh. he is white, right? It doesn't say. I don't no, know. I don't know. Ooh, I, I, I touchy. Think, well, I, I think, think we all know Jesus was white, so uh, you know I think that's a uh, pretty common knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> he, know, was a, he was a he was a he was a European, right? It's right. Yeah, it's all, I mean, listen, it's on all the velvet paintings, okay? Right, and right. so we're we're gonna have to change all of those if that's not correct. Right. All right. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't a Semitic, an ancient Semitic Jew. He was a European. That's the way he looks in all of the. <laughs> That's right. blonde, yeah. The blonde-haired, yeah. blue-eyed Jesus, right? Yeah. Him and Santa Claus, both, both right. are, uh, both are, yeah. According yeah. to the to that Fox News host, was that Megyn Kelly who said that? Oh yeah, Megyn Kelly. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. when she was yeah. a Fox yeah, News. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a really great meme. It's <laughs> a really great meme out there. It's a bowl of it looks like chicks mix. Uh-huh. And it's uh, it's just a bowl, and it's like brown checks, and then right in the middle there's just one white checks, and it's, it's Jesus Christ in checks form. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Uh, no, listen, people are idiots, man, and uh, you know, and I I have to apologize again for for you know the the white groupings. Uh, it, it's not. It's it's so. People just wander around every day just trying to figure out shit to be offended by. And, you know, I, I said, well, how could you watch her sing that and, and be offended and, and be upset? You know, other than, I, I, I better question. 
how is your life that good that that's what you're worried about? You know, <laughs> you got a bill to pay or some shit, you know, go out and do something, man. <laughs> Weed the garden, you know, so, uh, my God, uh, what is going on? So I think, I think that again, we have this selective memory and this deep denial of history. And so uh, these people are acting as though uh, there was never, and I don't think they're actually offended by the words. They don't think, know them. Yeah, they didn't even, they, before she started singing, yeah. they didn't even know there was a black national anthem. Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, a little known secret, perhaps, uh, I don't think most black people know all the words. Uh, I've been in audiences where plenty of, and I'm one of them. I'm in, uh-huh. uh, you know, I've had to go to my paper to say, what, what is that second verse saying? It's like the alma mater in a college. It's like the alma mater in a college where everybody right. knows like one line in there and it's everybody, rah, 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 and glory to the, you know, it's just, right. you know, exactly, it's, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And I'll tell you a, a, a real quick, funny side story. Uh, the one person uh, that apparently does know all three verses is Bill Clinton. Is that right? The former president surprising. Bill Clinton. That's not he surprising has been spotted all. in public, you know, at, at occasions where this is being sung, and he's been spotted in public, man, singing all three verses without any paper in front of him at all. And it's it's kind of interesting that he knows all three verses. Now, listen, there there was a lady involved somewhere in that, I can guarantee you. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Let me tell you something, okay? <laughs> you got to know. The Black National Anthem. All right. <laughs> Come over here and let me sing it for you. We're going to get some emails over that comment. You know, <laughs> and, me laughing, and me laughing at it uproariously. We're going to get some emails over that. But I, but I, well, anyway, I don't want to belabor the point. We'll move on from that. <laughs> We're going to get some hey, emails. Listen, everybody has their weakness. That's Bill's, okay? All right? That's just a, that's just a known fact at this point. Let's stop it. You know, still, still one of the greatest presidents that we've ever had. But, uh, you know, the man had his, the man had his issue. All right. Clearly. Yes. Indisputably, undeniably. <laughs> yes. Could not run away fast enough. And, and in his defense, I've um, done some things for women that I never thought I'd do. So in, in, in his defense, I, I relate to that, to that tendency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh. You know, I, I, I'm I, I, like I said. Everybody has their their issue. Yeah. Everybody has their problem, uh, yeah. and uh, so it's uh, except for you know, except for Obama uh, in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, Obama was what was the rare guy that was just he was just a good dude. You know, very disciplined. Yeah, it was well, very even Michelle wasn't having that. Michelle wasn't going to play that. Oh yeah, well, I mean, but yeah, but still, I, I think I, honestly, I think I think you know, to be kind of corny, I think. Barack Obama legitimately loves Michelle Obama, and oh, sure. and and, sure. and and would have doesn't have that desire, you know, like like Bill Clinton did, and and I just it just is a he just seemed like a 
a really happy, I relate to that very well, a really happy and settled family guy. That that's something that he's wanted all of his life was to have a, a family like that. And it's the same for me. And I just, it just is a, uh, uh, it's something that I think he won't, he wanted. Uh, and uh, I agree. You know, I, I agree yeah. with you 100%, but I also say Michelle wasn't going to play that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, she wasn't. She wasn't. No, she, no, she, was, uh, she, she wasn't going to play that. She, she, she wasn't going yeah. to play that. But yeah. no, I agree with you. Settled guy, happy guy, and I think yeah. a very uh, disciplined guy. Yes. Very focused. Yeah. Except yeah. for the cigarettes, uh, but yes, otherwise, well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the travel on some of those jump shots. But yeah, it's, you know, he was good. He was good. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, no, it's a... Uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just, these people, man, I just, I just want, that's, that's my, got to tell you, that's my goal in life. My goal in life is to make my life so settled and perfect that I just sit at night around the TV and watch for shit to be angry about, you know, mm. that I've got to come up with things like that to be mad about. Mm. That's, that's my goal in life is, uh, is to, to get to that point. And once I get there, um, y'all will know it because yeah. I'll, I'll post it on things and just be, you know, <laughs> an old curmudgeon. So, all right, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, uh, for real this week, I'll say this with sincerity. Y'all be safe out there. Pay attention to, to what's going on. Hope everybody survives the, the day and, uh, yeah. you know, in this storm season, y'all pay attention and uh, learn your counties and your maps and things and figure out where you are so you can get the hell away from these tornadoes and stuff. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. Till next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.